With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. There are so many people who have so much brilliance in their heads that will never get it out unless it's very easy for them, right? That's literally why our company exists. That's why we call it Scribe, is literally because Socrates was a brilliant, genius man. No one would know who he is if it weren't for his scrub. Right, because he didn't write a single thing. He didn't write none of it down. You made this great point. What if somebody just wants to have five readers, their great-grandchildren, and why can't they write their book? Like, I wish my great-great-grandfather wrote a book where his only audience would have been me. Yep. Every day, millions of people die with all this genius and wisdom and knowledge locked up in their heads and it doesn't get out and it dies with them. It's kind of funny. We've been talking about this for 30 minutes, but this isn't even my fight. No, but yeah. I, would, I would say it is a little bit because it, with Scribe Media, I'll just, I'll just describe a little bit what you do. Your, your point is many people have stories. Many people don't have the skills or time to write their stories. Let's say the best surgeon in the world, he's busy saving his lives. Right. He's never built the, put in the 10,000 hours it requires to be Tiffany a good Hannes writer. is actually the best example ever. Yeah, this is, Tiffany Hannes is like Tiffany a brilliant came comedian. From nothing. Foster care, the worst stuff. Go, you want to see what, what books do. Go, don't, you don't have to read Tiffany Hannes' book. Go look at the reviews. She has 2,000 reviews on, on, on uh, Amazon. I think she has over 30,000 reviews on Audible. Because her audience are mostly young urban youth, right? Especially girls. They listen. They don't read. Cool. Go look at her Audible reviews. Go read them. If you aren't crying by page two, you don't have a heart. Every, not every review. I mean, just like every other review is a 13-year-old black girl saying things like, I had no idea this was possible. I had no idea uh, real celebrities came from where I came from and f and 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 had all these other issues too. I had no idea right. this so, and existed. She, she wasn't necessarily going to get published by the no, mainstream she wasn't. until she was a superstar. Right, she wasn't. You guys were working with her we came in right early. before superstardom. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, I think your, your point is basically people should have a platform to express their story instead of being chosen by a gatekeeper. It's a very, what I would call, choose-yourself kind of company. Yes. You could basically 100%. decide... I want to write a book for my own reasons and not because some other publisher wants to take 90% of the profits off of my name yes. and publish only the story. I, I, like one time, and it's horrible dealing with mainstream publishers. One time I wrote a book and an editorial, I made a comment 
about climate change that an, an assistant to an assistant of the editor didn't agree with, they would not publish the book unless I changed this one comment. I didn't change the comment. They did publish the book because they had already advertised it to yeah. bookstores. But just the fact that I had to deal with that, yeah. like yeah. I presented like a million articles on both sides, actually, yeah. saying that both sides are legit. There's there's super scientists like Bill Gates on one side, you know, and his scientists, another big guy on that, this other side and their scientists. All I was doing was presenting that there's two sides to the story and they were so upset. So your point is, is look, tell your story. We'll help you make it the best possible story. We'll help you get customers. We'll help you understand the publishing business because it's kind of complicated. And you that's the service you perform for your customers. Yes. That's why Tiffany comes to you. That's why Nassim Taleb, who's published major bestsellers with major publishing companies, comes to you. Mm -hmm. uh, he wants to own the rights to his book. He wants to control everything. So he works with us. Right. So on an economic level too, it makes sense. People don't realize that though. They, there's a, People think there's a stigma um, to... to publishing this way. But if I hold up a book to somebody who says this to me and I say, okay, tell me who published this book. No one knows. No one, no one, no one knows the name of no, any I publisher. Actually, you know what's funny? Self-publishing, you know, 30 years ago used to be called vanity publishing. I actually think traditional publishing is now vanity publishing. Because if you go with traditional, the reason is because you feel like you need that external validation from a publishing company. That's the vanity now. Right. When you can, you can publish the exact same book, in fact, usually better you work with a company like us or you you even do it yourself. I mean, God knows we're not the only uh, way to do it, but um, you can do a better book by yourself and you can own everything or you can go give up 85 to 95% or whatever uh, to a publisher. They don't do anything other than put their name on the spine and, and confer, and I'm saying this in quotes if you're listening, credibility, it's bullshit. There's That's no the only credibility. thing because they don't get you in bookstores. No, they don't get you on bestseller lists. Nope, they don't. They have no marketing. No ability. marketing, none. And and by the way, the best editors are independently editing. They They're work not for us. For the, the best editors work for us. Right. Well, I like, like I use we Neil pay Parker more. for uh, choose yourself. Yeah, we we pay more. So so it's it's interesting though because uh, the 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 stigma the gatekeeper thing is so powerful like people want to be liked by someone with higher status. The emperor has no clothes, man. Yeah. When the emperor is naked, you're not going to... Who's going to be the one to say that? And and there's another great point you made. I heard you give in a, in a talk in 2014, which always stuck with me, which is that... And I'm going to extend it a little bit. Publishers, their definition of success is if your book sells a lot of copies in the first two weeks, they'll be your friend. Yeah. Um, that's their only agenda. Yeah. But and and I and I say that not being degrading to them. That's that's uh, their business model. That, I get yeah, it. yeah, that's their business model, and that's fine. And I've dealt with it. We've all dealt with it. But you made this great point. What if somebody just wants to have five readers, their great grandchildren, and why can't they write their book? Like I wish my great great grandfather wrote a book where his only audience would have been me. Yep. But. In in today's world, we think a book can't be written for that purpose because that's what we've been trained. No, Bar you know, Random House won't publish that. Barnes and Noble won't won't uh, share it. Uh, but that that's a totally valid reason to write a book as of well. It is. Absolutely, it's why JT came to us. Right, he wanted. Uh, he didn't think anyone would care about his story. He just wanted to tell his story to his kids because you know JT's got all the money in the world now. He's afraid his kids are going to grow up rich, entitled, spoiled brats in the suburbs. He wanted to make sure they knew where they came from. Right, but then it turns out the book's amazing. He's got an incredible story. Everyone wants to hear it. 
Yeah, absolutely, dude. I mean, we're we're getting there. We we're not at the point yet where we've created a platform where anyone can come in for almost any price and have access to to really great tools to tell their story yet. Uh, like in software or whatever. We have a book that walks through our exact process. So anyone who wants to do it can do it. We the, the tools are out there. But no, my goal, our goal eventually is so that here's the thing. You you you, you kind of you're conflicting two things. Having a platform. Why am I always wrong? You're not wrong. You're just putting two things together. Having a platform upon which to distribute your voice is a different thing than having help understanding what your voice is and getting it into a medium. Yeah, they're two different things, right? I agree with that. So like getting good at a podcast and then putting it on iTunes are different things, right? right? Okay, so the the fight that we spent 30 minutes talking about, um, you know, the, the, the Jordan Peterson, Alex Jones being deplatformed fight, right? That is not my fight. That is a very important fight. Other people are fighting that, really smart, accomplished people. I think eventually all of the distributed platforms are eventually going to become undistributed. And so you're going to have... A YouTube that, uh, that and a Twitter and a whatever that are um, I don't know if it's going to be run off blockchain or whatever, but they're essentially essentially totally decentralized, so that they'll be the as close as possible to pure free speech platforms. Uh, there are problems with that. I'm not exactly sure how that's problem problems are going to be solved, but I think that's where we're going to go. Is that that we live in a world now where authoritarian control doesn't work anymore. The genie is now out of the bottle, and so all although people, it's a battle. It is 100% a battle, and it is maybe the defining battle of the next 20 years, is do we let governments and authoritarians on either right or left control means of distribution, or do we let the people? I, I sound like fucking Karl Marx, <laughs> but it's true, man. Right, I mean, so, I, I'm a, so, like Chicago school economist, but that that is maybe the defining battle because I, I think the genie's out of the bottle too far, though. And I think all the all the mainstream media and all those people are playing the status tribal games of the last war. They're fighting the old war. All that's doing is creating the antibodies to that faster and faster. And there are too many smart people who have too much money and too much power on the other side now. And so we're going to we are getting slowly but surely to a freer world and, and, and platform wise. But that is essentially at its core a tech fight. That is not my fight. Um, my skills are a different place. Because now imagine that that war's won, right? Imagine today, I snap my fingers, the war's won, everyone has access, any platform they want, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. There, I, I feel like the more, not the more important, the war after that is the knowledge in people's head and the wisdom in their head, getting it into a medium that other people can understand and relate to and consume. Okay, so let me ask you about this. Because we both know there's... We know a thousand people have written books for their own agendas. Like they want, they don't necessarily want to write the best book, but they want consulting gigs, they want speaking gigs, they want business opportunities. That's a huge number of our clients. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem I have with that category is that most of those people are horrible writers, don't respect writing as a craft you have to work at. Agreed. And the books are just horrible. That's why and they so, work and, with and, us. And, and, and right. And so I think those people should work with you. I feel like the war is the next war is explaining to people you need to step up your game in terms of learning this craft. Yeah, no, I disagree. I actually fundamentally disagree, man. That's like you know what that sounds that sounds like an auto mechanic saying like how can you really drive a car unless you know how to build an engine? All right. That's bullshit. All right. I disagree. Fair enough. Well, I, I think the problem is these people think that they're good writers and yeah, well, they're publishing you're, but the you're talking about people who are writing the book themselves with no help because they think because they're good at their field, they're going to be good at writing. I totally agree with that. 
Writing is a very distinct, very different craft from being an expert at something. That's literally why our company exists. That's why we call it Scribe, is literally because Socrates was a brilliant, genius man who set the foundation for Western culture in many ways. Um, no one would know who he is if it weren't for Plato, if it weren't for his scribe. Right, because he didn't write a single He didn't write none of it down, right? That's the difference, is, is I feel like there are so many people who have so much brilliance in their heads that will never get it out unless it's very easy for them, right? They don't necessarily have to work with another person. I feel like we can create our process so that it becomes very low friction and you kind of do it. I don't want to say automated, but it's very much a do-it-yourself way. Um, I think as we build the tech, you know, I'm in this to win this, man. This is a 20, 30, 40-year company for me. So we'll get there eventually. But we're starting right now with the most successful people on earth who have <clears throat> done immense amount who've made money from it, which are not the only people who have things to say at all, but we got, we got to start somewhere, right? Like, uh, like iPhones, you know, set the category. Now 3 billion people have smartphones. We're doing the same thing. We're setting the category. And eventually I want our service to be available to literally everyone. But the point is every day, millions of people die with all this genius and wisdom and knowledge locked up in their heads and it doesn't get out and it dies with them. And that there is, all civilization is, is the compounding of wisdom. That's it. You and I are sitting, you can't tell me how those lights work or this camera or this microphone. These work because geniuses before us figured this out. And, and the, then the knowledge became institutionalized as part of our, it became a commodity, right? But too little of that happens. Like the example I always use is the Library of Alexandria. Um, the Egyptians were a scribe of, col a culture of scribes. And they wrote everything down. They, Alexandria was the most important trading port for most of what we would consider the 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 BC time, like pre Jesus, right? And, and a little bit even in after. But um, they, they every ship that came in, the rule in the port was if you had a scroll or anything written down, you had to give it to the scribes, and they would copy it and then give it back to you, right? And so the Library of Alexandria had every piece of written wisdom in the world. And they would send scribes out to like sit with people like Socrates or whoever the geniuses at the time were and write down what they were saying. They were obsessed with writing things down. That was their thing. And uh, then Cleopatra had a fight with Caesar and Caesar burned it to the ground and the world lost all of that wisdom that was not written down. And I'm not, that didn't cause us to fall into a dark ages, but once the Roman Empire fell, we went into a dark ages because none of that knowledge was recorded anywhere else. Well, you realize in the last 30 years, we figured out how the Romans made the concrete they did that has that, that keeps aqueducts up for 2,000 years. We figured out about 30 years ago how the pyramids were built, which are 5,000 years old, right? All of this wisdom was lost. All civilization is is the compounding of wisdom. I feel like this is maybe the, long, the most important long-term fight we have is what we're doing. The platform fight's a different fight, though. Like, if I have my way and we have our way at Scribe, no one dies with anything in their head that someone else in the future will want to know. Well, and I think, you know, not to kind of just suddenly take the conversation immediately to the practical that everyone could under, that everyone could take advantage of, but I think you having such a historical motivation for a business, you know, it's a motivation that stretches thousands of years. This is why 
this is a good reason to start a business. I think, you know, and, and let's take the opposite end. Oh, I want to make a million dollars in the next year. That's the opposite end of that, <laughs> of, of, of the reason you should start a business. That's the bad reason to start. I, in my opinion, you, you won't succeed. Yeah, again. if you don't care about the problem at all, then you're not going to succeed. Right, so, so solving, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, if you help a billion people, you'll make a billion dollars. I don't necessarily believe that either. I think the most important thing is having a vision that is so ingrained in everything you've done over the past two decades. Yes. That's a great reason to start a business. And then having a, having, you know, customers who buy into that vision, which clearly they do having a CEO who bought into that vision. He did his book through you. I think that's, that's critical. You have, you have a great culture at the business. Everybody is like lifers at your business. I've known them for ever since they started working for you, you know, years and years and years ago. Um, what's the next, like J you just said, you stepped down as CEO, JT stepped up because people would follow you, but people would like die for JT. Yeah. Um, what does JT bring in terms of motivation on top of that supports the vision that you just laid out? Cause I think that's a very practical skill that, that no, businessmen should no, know. It's a great question. All right. So here's what, this is actually going to be hard for me to say because it makes me realize things about myself that aren't necessarily the most pleasant. But um, if I'm going to be all about the truth, then I got I to gotta, I gotta do it even when it's not palatable. Um, I think people love JT because he loves them back. Hmm. Like great leader uh, loves the people that they lead and they put them first. And he is a master at that. And I feel like I am not. It's not that I don't care about them. It's not, I just... He's far, 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 far uh, farther along on that path than I am. What do you think internally did that for him, particularly given his background? I don't know, man. I don't know. It's a good question. You're going to have to ask him when he's on the podcast. When is he in the city? Does he ever uh, come to the city? He's busy in Austin. Yeah, right. He's busy. He's busy. Um, I know he's coming, I think, later this year. So, of course, of course, I'll, I'll make sure that you talk to him because you two will love each other. But um, it, the reason our, our, our tribe loves him so much is because they know he loves them. And and he and it's not just, oh yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not, most companies are like, oh, we care about our people. It's all mouth. It's all words. It's all bullshit. It's not bullshit with JT. It's real with him. Like every single person in our company can tell you a story um, about how JT, uh, they've seen him either love them or other people or both. And the, all the stories are going to be different. It's not like there's a mythology of JT. It's, it's personal. Like he... He really cares at the core of his soul. So I think these two things, like having an outward-facing vision that you truly, like, deeply believe in, and it's got a historical foundation, and it's true. Like, if you think about it, you know, uh, there was the Gutenberg Press, which allowed people to, which allowed basically anybody to write. And then, it went to print at scale, is right. what it was. And then I think there's this brief period where, Publishers would help and bookstores would help with distribution. And I think that era is dying. But then the combination of a, a, a mega platform like Amazon making it easy to distribute, plus companies like yours making it easy to take an enormous skill set and translate that into um, something that's readable. I think this is, I, and I'm not just saying this to build you up. I think that's like the next step after the Gutenberg Press. Finally, people could. Again, once again, say what they believe in, communicate it in a way that's effective, and distribute it. You know, and now look, some people don't need you. If you have the skills of writing, yeah, no, if you do can it get yourself. a cover Great. designer. No problem. Yeah. 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 So so 
But again, you know, a, a, a major, someone who's been a heart surgeon for 50 years, they're not going to have the 10,000 hours to build the writing craft. Exactly. Or it doesn't even make sense for them to. Like, it, right, they're it, busy saving above lives. Above a certain amount that you make, it doesn't make sense for you to even manage the process even if you could. Because you're taking time away from what you're great at to spend time at even something, even if you're good at it. I mean, that's just the basic law of comparative advantage. That's basic economics. If you make, I'm just make up numbers. If you make 100 bucks an hour even, it makes no sense not to hire us. Because uh, uh, you, for you to, if you spend your time doing the book yourself, it's costing you $100 an hour. And you can hire us effectively for less than that at a per hour cost, right? So it makes zero, zero sense for you not to hire us. Or, or somebody, but even though we're the best. But let's look at a guy though like Nassim Taleb, who's, who's a great writer. It's, he's not using you for... No, for, he's not using... So we have a publishing arm. So you can, you can come to us with just your idea and then we have like a whole interview process that takes you all the way through and we do all the work. I mean, it's like, it's 36 grand now, total turnkey. It's kind of like ghostwriting, but it's not ghostwriting because ghostwriting is like where someone's writing their idea of your book. This is a full interview process. It is a, your ideas in your words and your voice. Uh, then once the manuscript is done, then we um, uh, do all the publishing. Or you can come to us with a finished book, like you've written it yourself, cool, no problem, we do all the publishing. So that's, Nassim is not at all in any way, shape, or form doing our, our sort of our, uh, full process. Like, it wouldn't make sense for you either. No, in, in You're a sense- You're both writers. In a, in a sense, um, I was like a alpha version yes. of your company. Choose Yourself absolutely was the alpha version. Because yeah. I wrote the book, and then you helped me with the editing, editing. the cover design, interior cover, design. I, I, we did all of it. And then right. even the formatting for Kindle and CreateSpace, and uh -huh. you gave me advice. That's, Choose Yourself is the first book I did as an audiobook, because you said, A, you have to do an audiobook, and I followed your advice, and it was great. And B, you, you literally uh, called my ex-wife and said, don't let James just read it in his bathroom or whatever yeah. like use Go the studio, studio. <laughs> and do it professionally yeah. and 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 that kind of made an impression on me in the sense that if you're going to do something make every aspect of it professional yes and then you could you're still doing it yourself yes. but 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 do it with the highest possible quality in every way that's why for this podcast for instance we're doing it in person because I think that's more You've professional than mics. Skype. we got a whole team here. Yeah, we're, fantastic. we're videotaping it. We're yeah. miking it. The audio quality is going to be great. We're doing it in a professional studio, yep. um, semi-professional studio. This is, this is, you know, this is my stand-up club. Yeah, right. Of course. So, yeah. uh, uh, but we have podcast studios in here. So, so, so doing everything professionally, I feel like I was like the alpha version of your. Yes, hundred percent. Uh, what you, you did. Yes, hundred percent. So, and then um, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to boil it down to like. You're you're still you know twenty years later engaged heavily in the writing process. People should just read one chapter of any of your books just to see an example of what good writing is. But what would you say for you are the top three rules of of writing? Uh, so th uh, this is what we tell our authors. Like we we now have a program actually um, called Guided Author, where it's the exact same process for the thirty six grand. But instead of us doing all the manuscript work for you, we tell you what to do, and then you do it, right? And with our guidance, so it's like a third less. But um, but you're gonna have your hands on the keyboard, but you're gonna have total guidance. And then when you finish, we do all the publishing, right? So like people love this now. This is because there there's some people who are just like, okay, you do it's my knowledge. I'm gonna get on the phone with you. I'm gonna dump my soul into the calls, but then you do everything else. And there are people who like just want to do it themselves. Great, no problem. There's a middle tier who want a lot of guidance and a lot of help, but they do want their fingers on the keyboard, right? And so um, those people uh, are perfect for guided author. Um, uh, 
Anyway, so I'll tell you what I tell those people. The number one, there's three things. This is this is literally our positioning. Uh, this is our structure, how we do it. The first thing you have to understand is what are you trying to accomplish with this book or this piece of writing? What is your goal? Because if you don't know why you're writing it, you're just going to write meandering nonsense, right? So, and I don't mean... Part of your goal can be, you know, what you, the the impact you want the book to create in the world. That's cool uh, and important. But you should also be thinking about what do you want this book to create for you, right? What, what do you mean? What's an example? Okay, so if I'm a consultant, if I'm a CEO coach, right, mm-hmm. and 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 I I coach you know Fortune 1000 CEOs, uh, I'm doing this book uh, because I want to uh, raise my. I'm already the expert. I already coach a bunch of CEOs. But no one kind of knows except the guys I coach. So uh, are the women and men. So I want this book to kind of show the world, uh, to establish my authority in this space to, and credibility, to show the world I know what I'm talking about, right? And to show that it's not about bragging. It's about here's what I do. Here's my knowledge. It's about here's my knowledge and wisdom so that I have the authority and credibility uh, in my space. I want this book to be kind of the hook for media. So I, it raises my visibility. So, you know, it's easy for me to get speaking gigs. It's easy for me to go on podcasts. Like, if I'm the best CEO coach in the world, you're not having me probably on your podcast. But if I have the book that is the definitive CEO coaching book, you're probably going to have me on your podcast now. So it's it's a authority, visibility, and then also it's a legacy piece for me. Like, I've done amazing work. Like, I've helped all these companies, these CEOs do well, which help these companies do well. I kind of want, you know, my friends, family, whatever to know um, you know, I've produced real value in the world. So, so, so you know, you're saying this is the number one. And rule I'm, not, for, I'm not a fucking CEO coach. I'm the worst. <laughs> right. right. So, so, so you're saying though this though as a rule for writing. How does this translate into better writing? So hold. You, you got to stick stick with me now because uh, once you know what you're trying to accomplish, right? Whereas you and I, I write for entertainment, right? Uh, or my old stuff was right. I want to make people laugh. Totally different than establishing authority and credibility. Just different right. goals. But you first you must understand what your goal is. What is your objective with this book? Because once you know your objective, now you know who your audience is, right? So if my goal is to establish authority with CEOs of Fortune 1000 companies, my audience are CEOs of Fortune 1000 companies and the people that influence them. That's right. my only audience. So that can motivate, let's say the first line of a book like that is uh, your billion-dollar revenues, your, your billion-dollar revenue company is about to go to bankrupt. The bank is on the phone. You're scared to death and you're hiding under the table. If you're James Altucher, that's the I first. Wa- line. <laughs> I walked in and we, we you know, yeah, fa- we start talking. Yeah. About it. Right. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or two hundred different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I love. I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I of course the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income? by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. 
And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldercher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? <laughs> Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No 
insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So now you know who your audience is, right? So in your case, let's say um, let's say you want to do a book on how cryptocurrency is the future of money. Um, uh, you, uh, you want to like establish your authority in that space. You want to help people understand that, all that kind of stuff. So then your audience are people who are interested in crypto, people who are looking for other investments. Like, you see what I'm saying? Of course. Mm, right. So, so number one is what are your objectives? Number two is who is your audience? That gets you to the third thing. Notice how I haven't talked about what the idea for the book is. Everyone wants to start there, but that's about them. The third thing is, why will your audience care? Because no one cares about your book. No one. They only care about themselves. And they care about what your book will do for them. So for the CEO example, the, the, the answer is, if I'm the CEO of a Fortune 1000 company, I'm only going to care about your book if I think you're going to help me learn things and get better at my job. Same with you. Someone, the only reason anyone's going to care about your crypto book is because you're going to help them figure out crypto so that they can make more money and be ready for the future or whatever, right? Invest in or whatever. So if that, so now if you get all three of those, now it all dovetails, right? Because once you understand your objectives, then you know who your audience is. Now you know what you have to write about, right? Now you know how to frame it too. The big problem that ever, most writers make is they approach the book uh, from their own perspective. But no one cares about you and they don't care about your book. They only care about what your book will do for them. What our process does, and or what the process I just out detailed to you, it helps you clearly identify why what you why an audience will care for your book and it helps you write to that. So that because if you do not write this book in service of an audience, it will not get you any benefits at all. At all. It will probably flop because there's so much content and there's so many alternatives now, why would someone read something that's not about them? I, I think that's a, that's a really good point that I want to get back to. I also think the most important thing you said there is nobody cares about you or your book. Yes. Because I think that all your rules fall out of that principle, yes. Yes. which is that everybody has a self-inflated view of like why people say they should care about them. You have to actually build the argument. Well, you know, book. here's what's crazy. So we, we, we walk so many, we've done this, you know, we've worked with a thousand authors now or something. So we've done this so much, but everyone starts off, people who don't know books, right? They start off being like, uh, they think they kind of want to write a book about themselves or, 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 or about all the cool things they've done. And so what we always do is we kind of run them through this process and what they realize, we talk them around to understanding that the book has to be positioned for the audience. And they get that. Most everyone gets that and they understand why and they understand the, the logic once we kind of walk them through it. Uh, but they think in their minds there's a dichotomy between either the books about me or the books about my readers. Not true. The best books are positioned for the reader, meaning like basically here is what you're going to learn. Here is the benefit for you, right? But that's kind of like sell them what they want, right? You sell them the benefit. 
But the actual book itself has tons of your own stories in it. The reason is because um, now all those stories are in service of teaching them what they want to know and delivering the benefit. The stories aren't about, they're about, they could be a totally about you, but the, every story is relevant to something they're learning. The reason is because, number one, humans learn through story much better than they learn any other way. So if you can tell a story that it makes your point, they're going to learn it and they're going to read it and they're staying engaged. And two is people will then connect with you and they will care about you. You are a master at this, at teaching relatively complex or relatively straightforward things, teaching information through story. That's what you do. That's why who you are who you are. That's why millions of people are going to listen to this podcast is because you don't lecture people. You don't you don't just lay out the information. You give it to them in the context of a story that they can understand and relate to. So really what we do with almost everybody is we take them and reframe them from uh, this book's about me to this book's about the audience, but I will teach the audience through stories about me. And then, But then the craft of storytelling, there's got to be like what's— Oh, yeah, dude. That's deeply difficult. It's one of those—it is extraordinarily deep and difficult and— um, and intense. So, but there's actually, it's one of the, I, I, I give our sort of guided author people, if you, if you, if you go to describe and you're turnkey, you don't really have to learn it so much because we have master writers and storytellers and editors who, who essentially do it for you. But if you're writing it yourself, um, here's the hack that we teach people. So the way you want to think about, don't think about telling a story, right? Because if you try to learn story structure, it's ridiculously complex and you will get lost in the weeds as a novice or as an amateur. But the way you can kind of hack it and get close to being a professional with very, very little work is to think of your book as I'm going to teach a, a, a friend of mine who is ignorant of, of this knowledge. Not stupid, they're just ignorant, Right. Um, I am going to teach them this. So that 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 first that structure makes you forces structure. Okay, where am I going to start? What's the second thing I'm going to teach? What's the third thing? What's the fourth thing? Then it forces you to only tell stories that are relevant. Like imagine I'm sitting across the table from a friend. Like you are a friend. Imagine I'm going to teach you about something you care about, right? That I know about. Uh, you know, like being a parent. I mean, you're a parent more than I am, but like, let's just take that as an example. Um, I might be a bad parent, so. <laughs> well, I, I don't parent. know if I'm good either, but but uh, it's an easy example, right? So let's say you don't have kids, you're about to have kids. So I'm gonna say, all right, James, you need to start here. And then I'm gonna like, you know, whatever it is, understanding the parenting's about the kid, not about you or something. And then I'm gonna like kind of tell you the facts and then I'm gonna tell you like one or two stories, right? Because if you come to me and ask me, that's how I'm, I'm gonna say, well, you need to know this and this, fact one and fact two. And like the reason, the way I learned fact one is, and then tell the story. And the way I learned fact two is, and then tell the story, right? If you just do that, you are going to have it a very, very good book. Right. If you just say the facts without the stories, no one's listening. No. Because well, it you're doesn't right. land anywhere. It doesn't connect. Right. It's a primal, almost biological thing that we tell through storytelling. I just wanted to add one thing to that, which is often when I'm writing a book, it's not like, oh, I'm such an expert, so I'm going to tell you all these great stories. I'm kind of learning myself while I'm writing the book. I'm having stories while I'm writing the book. Like, I didn't write the book Choose Yourself because I was so great at like avoiding the gatekeepers. It's because I felt my whole life like I needed to be validated by them and it was a disaster was a result and I'm in the middle of a disaster. And so writing the book is almost my processing that disaster. Yes. That's yes. the story. So that's where it is the story of me a little bit, but it's using 100%. it to kind of 
say, okay, here's how I, we're, we're, here's a state that many of us are in being stuck because the gatekeepers blocked us. Here's how I got out of it. You could use my advice or not. I'm not being a lecturer. Yeah. I'm just giving, telling my you know, story. You know what's so funny, man? In the guided author, so, so the way guided author works is that everyone in the program comes to Austin for two days and they spend two days with me and two of my senior team. And it's not individual, like we'll do it in cohorts where it's basically a four to one ratio. So there's at least one, four authors to one sort of editor. So like, you know, 12 people will be me and two senior editors, right? And and so we walk them through the positioning, kind of like what I just, that's the beginning of our right. positioning process. And then we walk them through, we build the entire outline with them. We do the writing schedule, all that sort of stuff. So when they leave, they know exactly what they're writing, when they're writing, all that, they got it all dialed in. They just have to go home and write, okay? And then of course we have, you know, uh, ongoing support when they go home and weekly calls and all that stuff. But, but here's, What's funny is you just, and it makes total sense because you're a writer and you get it. I always end the workshop with um, uh, why why your book matters. And so for each person, I give like not even a five-minute speech, a two-minute speech about why their book matters. And what's so funny is I would say almost every, 95% of people, here's the, the, the narrative of the book is they had a real problem in their life they figured out a way to solve it. Now they're bringing that wisdom to other people who have that problem. Even if they're doing the book for business, 100% for business, that's still the narrative. Like, like, Well, what's funny like, there is what you just described. That's the hero's journey. It's the hero's journey, the hero's journey on top of the hero's journey. Right. So they exactly. already had the hero's journey, which is their problem. Now they have what, what our friend Steve Pressfield calls the artist's journey, yes. which is like, how do you take the hero's journey to express your prior hero's journey. Exactly right. So like an iconic example is this woman, uh, um, Anita, who came through our, and she's a sales consultant, like really high end. She's an amazing sales trainer. She was like this, this uh, she's this small little Indian woman and very demure and whatever. And she got into sales and was terrible at it and like had struggled with it and was going to whatever, all this sort of stuff. And then she taught herself sales. She got really good at it and like amazing at it, right? And and so she was kind of like the iconic sort of uh tech person, right? Terrible at dealing with people, whatever. She taught, like got amazing at it, became a baller salesperson, and then realized that she had a skill. She could teach tech people how to become salespeople. Mm-hmm. And so the like and then so she became a consultant. She's really good at it. Now she wants to level up and be seen as the sales trainer for tech people, right? And she told me this story about this guy Antonio that like basically was uh not like he couldn't feed his family. He was in sales like a kind of a like a nerdy like bad with people tech person like could like wasn't like was failing was not even feeding his family and she he was one of her first clients and she turned him around in like a few months and now the guy is like a top grossing salesperson for some you know uh whatever b2b sales tech company right but he like lives in a great house his wife's happy i mean she literally changed the life of this family right and it's like that so I, I never start with Hero's Journey because then they get it in their head that they like they get all weird. <laughs> I, I walk them through it without telling them what it is. And then at the end, I'm like, now look at what you've done. Now you have the entire template. You have the map to go do your heroes. You, you, you did the journey yourself. Now you're, but that's the whole point of the Hero's Journey, James, is that when you come back, when you, you, you cross the threshold, you go on the adventures, you fight the demon, you get the treasure, Right. The treasure then you bring back to the village and share with everyone. That is the whole point. So they're in that stage now of you've got the treasure. That's their knowledge. The book is how they bring it back and share it with everyone. That's the thing. And so I walked them through that and it's like 
then now they're all excited and they get the book's not, yes, it helps them with business and yes, that matters a lot, but like they get that there's a purpose beyond them for the book. So let me take it, let me ask one step further, which is almost kind of a, a meta question to your business, which is 10 years from now, where's media heading? Now think about 10 years ago, you could write a book, like Malcolm Gladwell could write a book and become famous because of that book and that's yeah. it. That doesn't really happen anymore. I mean, no. the only example I've really seen, honestly, in the past 10 years was Jordan, Jordan Peterson. Peterson. But he didn't become famous because of his book. No, it's because of his YouTube videos. Yes. So, and the, because the of controversy, like he kind of hitched onto a huge controversy and that propelled his videos. He had a videos. huge audience right. before the book came out. Right, so, so, and then you see, I'm gonna expand it further. You see Netflix spending 13 billion a year buying new shows. That's gonna fail in disaster because nobody has time to watch 200 new shows. There's not even a long tail of that. Like most shows, I get no viewers. So, so TV is going to change. Book publishing is going to change. Music's already changed. Uh, the, the, the one social media network with the, by far the greatest number of new users is Instagram, which we know is just photograph, like the worst photographs in the world. So what's actually... Are we just degenerating into this no, like no, splooge of bad we're, media? No, or? no, no. That's never how it works, man. Everything runs in cycles. You know that, man. You're a trader. You well, understand. Well, okay, but maybe because I'm so immersed in the middle of it, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm seeing sort of a big picture, like how everything's kind of changing and failing in weird ways. But where do you where do you see it coming out at the end? For what media? For media in general. For you as a person who wants to express a message. Um. For for you as a person, a young person can say, oh. Tucker did a blog and then a book and the book was a bestseller. That can't happen anymore. Like even when I had um, Seth Godin on a few weeks ago and when I had him on a year earlier, every single time he always says year over year, his his blog views get cut in half. So like th that phenomenon of blog, blog to book is 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 done, is done for yeah. instance. So what's what's the the pathway now of of multimedia so, or uh, you got to look at it you're looking at it too small mm -hmm. right you're, you're looking like a finance chart you know you zoom down to three months and trying to extrapolate no no you got to zoom out dude. okay you got to zoom out to 10 years actually more i would zoom out to 20 or 30 or 40 year view on this at a minimum so here's we went through a weird period in history where media is centralized and that is like extraordinarily unusual. If you look at the scale of humanity, media was almost always local. Right, and that's why I say in, in the history of book publishing, there was Gutenberg. We could almost skip over traditional book publishing and uh, bookstores, and then there's kind of what you're doing, Amazon, and so on. So like I skip over completely publishing because that was just a fluke almost. Yeah, well, so no, but here's the thing. Media was centralized for about... Truly centralized, I would say for about, you can make an argument of somewhere between 80 and 150 years, right? So just yeah. call it 100 years. Media was centralized. Right, because guys like Charles Dickens self-published. Right. So, so um, uh, like, centralization, if you look at the entire, look in the aggregate, we went from uh, essentially tribes to an agrarian economy to an industrial economy, and we're coming out of that into an, a digital economy, right? And so, as, what the in the industrial world, it made sense for everything to be bundled because there were economies of scale. That was the part of the tech evolution we were in. Going into a digital world, bundling doesn't make sense anymore because what do you mean by bundling? I mean everything, like every. Okay, so think about what's a really easy example. Think about tools, right? 
there's prior to prior to let's just call it 1900. I'm being very rough here. So so like uh, prior to 1900, if you wanted a tool, you went to the blacksmith in your town and he made it for you, right? After 1900, and again, very very rough. Tools were made in factories. Really, probably after World War One, tools were made in factories. Like no no blacksmith was making a shovel anymore, right? Why? Because you can make shovels faster, easier in factories. But it took a long time for the industrial corporatist world to develop and reach that sort of scale, right? But now it's like everything is a commodity, right? And physical goods are essentially all commodities, except for land. But uh, so so like uh, but. We're going back, I think, to a a a. Um, we're not going to go backwards in terms of tech because nothing goes backwards. It all moves forward and things are recombined. We're going into a world where you can become local again, where you can be small scale, but still you can enjoy so many of the benefits of mass scale production. But humans are not designed to be parts of massive bureaucracies. We are not designed to be parts of big systems. We are designed to operate on a small scale in small groups that we all know and trust and respect. We're designed to have skin in the game with each other. That's the way socially we socially we are designed, right? And I think uh, everything mass and everything scale is breaking up. Media, uh, it, media is just mm. is in that phase, right? And so I think it's not that there's going to be micro brands. It's that everyone is going to. Uh, you're going to have maybe the, the days of mass media are gone, dude. They're just gone and right, they're and not coming back. And so what that means is people, so many people still, it takes humans a long time to adapt to things, to tech, right? So uh, what we're going to see is not even a million micro brands. It's going to be, for, I'll give you a good, good uh, example for professionals. If you are a high level professional, let's just say, I'll make up a number to make it easy. If you make half a million or more, you're essentially going to have to have your own brand, your own professional brand and your own media, right? You don't need a media company. You don't have to be James Altucher because you are you are a media person. If I'm a CEO coach, I don't need to be a media person. But what I do have to have is media, right? I have to have a book. I have to have maybe some video. I have to have at least, I don't have to have everything covered in all areas, but I have to have at least one or two major media areas covered that show my proof of work so that when when CEO when CEOs uh, need a coach they're not going to the New York Times they're not going because the mass doesn't exist right. they have to go look for people who are CEO coaches and then they have to pick the one how are they going to pick right they have to pick based on proof of work the days of certain people being the approved vendors of the the large scale mass are gone and so in media you're going to see Godin and people like that are going to have a harder time being high-end because there's no more mass. It won't exist anymore. The days of mass are gone, and you will see lots and lots and lots more of niche and niche and niche and niche, which is fine. That's the way humans work, man. So, it's better. So, right. So, But some people might be hearing this disappointed. Like they want to take they, – they're, they're just interested in writing, let's say, entertaining writing, and they, they have a voice, and, they're, and people like what they do. And they want to be mass. Yeah. What should they do? Well, then that's an ego thing. That's their. It is an ego no, thing. No, that's that's their. Well, then I mean, okay, you want to if you want to live it's, your life. It's it's your it's how you got your start. You no, were of able course. to ride. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. No, I'm not saying I'm, I don't fall in that category. I did definitely yeah. early on. Look, so here's the thing. I, I'm not saying mass is impossible, but I'm saying mass used to be there were one or two. The the power curve was very, very steep and came down very quickly and was there was almost no long tail. 
Now, so much of that has shifted, and now the middle part, I think, is going to become a little bit fatter, but the long tail will become massively fatter, but will also sustain. So, like, if if you want to become mass because it depends what the goal is. If you want to be mass because you want to support yourself doing your art, that is now easier than it's ever been. And it's only going to get easier. If you want to become mass because you want to fill your empty fucking soul with a bunch of people staring at you, those days are over and right. you're fucked. And it's, it, it brings up, uh, you know, Kevin Kelly's thousand true fans article, which is that you need, yes. you need whatever media you choose, whatever multiple media you choose, you need to really, be good at expressing yourself in that medium yes. because 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 loyalty rather than numbers are more important. Yes. Like um you know, you can get a, a million views on something but if it's all if it's know, all garbage views doesn't mean anything. Right. Like a lot, yeah. which is a lot of let's say Instagram likes so you know it's done by bots or whatever. Right. But uh if if you have those 1000 true fans, 2000 true fans, 10,000 true fans, you're going to do well and have impact. I could not agree more. So Gosh, I feel like uh, we've, we've talked about so many topics. We could we could keep going. I could ask you for relationship advice next. Um, <laughs> what what should I do next? You see me do all these things. What should I do? I next? don't know, dude. I don't know enough details. Improve, that, that's why I want to improve get this podcast. Yeah. Um, how do you what? How do, the- I, how do I make the podcast bigger? Podcast is already pretty big. What do I? What do? How can I switch up format? I've been I've been interviewing you for five years and five hundred people no, like no, no, you. No. That, that's that's a really good uh, question. So I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I, where I think podcasts are going. Um, so your podcast interview style is mass media style. Yeah. I think that's going away. I think it's less I agree and less with you. and less. There's six hundred thousand interview podcasts out there. Right, exactly. And there's only so many people to interview, and they all get the stupid road answers, and it's 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 played out. Um, I actually think the future of podcasting is what I was talking about: is experts, not even interviewing. They can be interviewed. Whatever. It's experts displaying their expertise and teaching through podcast. So, like, I mean, you see Tim doing this a lot, right? Who's a friend of ours. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, like, I, I would, I, I think that <sighs> you, mass media was all about disposable content. That world is, you, content doesn't have to be disposable anymore, man. Like, if you looked at podcasts as, I am going to record nuggets, not nuggets of wisdom, specific like you want to learn how to write a great blog blog post, I'll write a piece about it, and then I'm going to record a podcast about it, right? And it doesn't have to, you know, you don't read the piece necessarily. It's much more about whatever. And then James Altucher's podcast on how to write a great blog post, let's say, that can be because search for podcasts will improve. Like discovery and search for podcasts is garbage now. That's going to improve. That's going to expand, I think, uh, exponentially. And we're going to start seeing a lot of knowledge and wisdom contained in long tail stuff and podcasts. I, I agree. And I think we've been gradually making the shift to that. It's almost like in the middle right now. Like we'll have on a celebrity guest and that almost status signals to other guests. Oh, this is yeah. the type of podcast where you had X, Y, and Z. Okay, I'll go on there. Um, but but interestingly, those get the least number of views. Now they still get a lot of views, but less than the how to be this sort of podcasts. Could not agree more, brother. So uh, listen, Scribe Media is great. I, I've you know I've always loved what you're doing, and uh, I'm so glad you came on the podcast. I, I I hate winding it down. Can we make this into a two part podcast? By the way, <laughs> yeah, Who's of course. Here, by the way, do you know Steve Cohen? He's the podcast producer. No, no. Hey, what's up? Nice he, to meet you. You never had Tucker on Good Day New York? No, he said. He- 
He was a he was producer for for TV for like thirty years. Oh wow! On every morning show in New York. Yeah. 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 We definitely have. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was thirty years. Everybody is my age, all right. And if you're not my age, you're catching up to me. So, which, by the way, I just stole a Louis C.K. joke, right? He has Britney Spears used to be a teenager, and now he Britney Spears is his age. That's like one of his jokes. Oh, that's also like uh, your favorite uh, Matthew McConaughey in Austin. Yeah, they keep uh -huh. getting younger. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I, I keep getting older and they stay the same age. High school yes. girls. Yeah, like Matt, Matthew McConaughey is the same age he's been since Days and Confused. Yeah. So we should go to Austin. There's like a thousand people in Austin to to do on the Dude, podcast. I, happy to help you. Do you know Richard Linklater? No. no. He's in he's in Austin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, all right. Well, Tucker Max, once again, the 80th time you've been on the podcast. <laughs> so much fun. I've learned so much stuff. Uh, and we've had so many interesting conversations. Come on again. Thank you, brother. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.